Jamie Oliver meets his friend John Prescott, who is a professional. <laughs> <laughs> who is a professional Elvis impersonator? His name on Kevin's name. And cooks food that Elvis used to eat. Oh my god! <laughs> cultural history, politics and tat. I'm historian and broadcaster Dr Kasha T and as ever I'm joined by my co-host. Hello I'm Dan Hancocks, journalist and author. And this week we have um, a very special episode with two very special guests. So our first guest is Jonathan Nunn who's a food writer and editor of Vittles a food newsletter, which, to be perfectly honest, Dan, it's like one of the only places, I think we were discussing this the other day, that seems to foster any, like, talent, young up-and-coming talent Mm -hmm. in journalism. And and pays it properly. And pays it properly. If you don't subscribe, you really should. It's also really changed, I think, how both of us feel about food. Um, Jonathan definitely is less Soho and more edgeware in in the kind of places that he looks at. They're kind of like uncovered, unknown, every day. I think that's very cursed object. You're trying to link it back to us, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Always trying to signpost <laughs> it back. Um, but also our next guest is Biz. Biz, I'm not going to say your full name because I've never said your full name. I only know you as Biz, a little bit like Cher. Like, and I think everyone <laughs> knows you as Biz. So if you're on the left, you would have come across Biz's writing uh, in The New Statesman, for example, and many other places. He's an activist, I think also an antagonizer. And you've probably left met him at some kind of like left-wing gathering. He's also currently the director of South London-based Residence FM, which you should definitely listen to if you haven't listened to it. Uh, welcome. Pleasure to be here. I always describe Biz as like the Peter Mandelson of the online left. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like he's the, the great connector. <laughs> I mean, what I do is I just stand in the corner in pubs, just sort of smirking and making kind of barbed comments to all and sundry. Basically, so that's would, my that's my which is what Mandelson did. Yeah. <laughs> we wouldn't have you any other way. <laughs> Mandelson also wrote a column for the people. I learned from one of your articles. He very yesterday. much did. He he said uh, about Andre Agassi and Barbara Streisand's uh, sort of mooted relationship. If he's game and she's set, they're a perfect match. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that's it's that's spicy. That's what, the, that's what the Prince of Darkness did before he went dark. Like he sort of had an angelic face or something like that. Um, So, I mean, not to say that this is going to be a meandering episode at all, but would you like to introduce the object that you've brought along? Yeah. So I'm like, I have a history of giving very cursed objects as gifts. 
Flats. And up until a few years ago, it was normally Michael Flatley's autobiography, <laughs> wow. which, I, which yeah. I don't know if you've read, but is an incredibly cursed book. Um, it mainly involves him getting into like flute competitions with people um, and him kind of being at every major event that's happened in the last kind of is 20, a, 30 years. Is there a lot of like needless to say I had the last laugh oh, I mean, kind of stuff, it, partridge style? It's not just that. I think like that is almost a verbatim quote. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, I used to have like a pile like by my bed, which I used to give out as gifts. And I, I transitioned in the last few years to giving another gift. And I lived with Biz for six months last year and this year. And my housewarming gift was the Jamie Oliver CD, um, which is called Jamie Oliver's Cooking, Music to Cook By. <laughs> and, I mean, one, it's got, it's got 18, like, absolutely impeachable tunes <laughs> from the 90s and early 2000s. And, and, I mean, this was 2001, so you've got, I wouldn't say it's Jamie in his pomp, but it's, like, Jamie just, like, rising very, very fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, this was, like, clearly, like, what can we sell yeah. That like Jamie's involved in, and, and I think it's a real, it's a really, really interesting object. I think I know that like some people think that I have like an antagonism with Jamie Oliver, and like to some extent that's true. But I actually think he's incredibly, he's not taken particularly seriously. And in actual fact, like Jamie is not just like the best-selling cookbook author that Britain's ever seen. He's the best-selling cookbook author by like a long way. Mm. And really? I think I way think, ahead of Delia. I think Nigella's second, right. and I, 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 she's like in his like dust tracks. So wow. It's like maybe less than half. Intriguing. Like he is like a phenomenon, and like a cultural phenomenon. And I think he should be taken seriously. And the reason he isn't is because he has been very like cringy and embarrassing over the last twenty years. <laughs> but like he's also he's also someone who I think I mean one he's had like enormous longevity, but he he also like captures like a time in British cultural life and British politics. And I think this CD, if I was trying to convey to someone what was life like in Britain at like the turn of the millennium, what was life like under New Labour, mm. I just put this the CD in the capsule and then people would open it mm-hmm. and they would know exactly what it was like. I mean, it was, I'm it was just cooking. the photos alone. I mean, I mean when... yeah, as objects go, I mean, in lieu of rent during a housing crisis, this kind of was a perfect stand-in. <laughs> the photos, you see uh, Jamie Oliver in double denim. Uh, at one point, he's kind of laying back on the roof of a VW camper van. <laughs> he's in a gritty East London stairwell. He's just having the time of his life to a soundtrack to Top Loader, which is great. <laughs> which is what we all did. I mean, me and, obviously, me and Dan Hancock's growing up in South London, we were listening to UK Funky in the fridge in Brixton. Mm-hmm. But I feel that uh, a kind of generation older than us was just like hanging around stairwells. But they were like standing by the gasworks, looking very moody. Um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's. I mean, the photos are great. Like the choices of songs. I mean, Top Loader, Dancing in the Moonlight is actually the first song on the track list, and it, and it, it, it just gets better from there, right up to number eighteen, which is um, a band called Scarlet Division, who I think will be talking about a little bit today, just because they are actually Jamie Oliver's band. Um, Jamie Oliver um, 
was famously the drummer in Scarlet Division. I mean, perhaps we can start with Sorry. Top Loader because I know the big uh, Cursed Objects fans really want a Top Loader update. And I got a call from my brother uh, earlier this week and my brother, uh, who is a suburban doctor in Worcester Park, uh, was supporting Top Loader last weekend at a gig, I assume, in Worcester Park. So he... Wow. He, so it's the centre of the musical universe. Yeah. I mean, famously. But he, he sent me a, a track listing, which is useful. The song on Cooking with Jamie Oliver is Dancing in the Moonlight, their most famous one. And he says, a few songs in, they said, who wants to hear a song we didn't write about the moon? And there are big cheers, and they launch into a smashing cover of The Whole of the Moon by the Waterboys. <laughs> so, and they leave Dancing in the Moonlight to the penultimate oh, song, really and they follow it with Dancing in the Dark, which I assume is a cover of Dancing <laughs> in the Dark, so very clever. Um, I did a deep dive before we get got here in the lyrics around the, the songs on Cooking with Jamie Oliver. And obviously, Dancing in the Moonlight, maybe we don't know this, but it wasn't written by the genius songsmiths at Top Loader. It was written oh. by a band called King Harvest. And in 1969, their keyboard player, Sherman Kelly, after a trip to the Caribbean island of San Crow, he was attacked by natives and left for dead, and whilst recovering, what? wrote Dancing in the Moonlight. <laughs> that is an origin story I never could have called. So the, the song, I think at the time of the release of Cooking with Jane wow. Oliver, is 30 years old, but it reflects an alternative reality. Rather than being nearly murdered, what it would be like to dance in the moonlight rather than being nearly merged in the moonlight. So that's very good. And, uh, I feel like I need to lie down. Like, wow, it's just too much. Just the images of Jamie Oliver like there, moodily standing. There's also, like, not to make this about dancing in the moonlight too much, but like there's a weird Mandela effect in that I assumed, and I can't remember why I heard this, that Van Morrison sung Dancing in the Moonlight, but this is actually a very common misconception. Mm-hmm. That it wasn't Van Morrison, it was King Harvest. Interesting. Well, Presumably the King Harvest people who survived these attacks and so on, they're the ones getting rich off the ongoing success of the song with like every car advert that the Top Loader version is on, do you think? Well, yes, almost Co- certainly. However, ways. my guess is Top Loader did a deal uh, with Sainsbury's, which mm-hmm. is the same year that Jamie Oliver was uh, got his big Sainsbury's contract. Oh. This yeah. song, Dancing in the Moonlight by Top Loader, was featured in a Sainsbury's advert. Um, so there is that kind of Oliver overlap. If anything, the Sainsbury's advert because this is a re-release of the Top Loader song, got it to number seven, which is why we all know it. Okay, so it's like the Top Loader, Jamie Oliver, Sainsbury's Industrial Complex. Is that that what we're getting at? Onka's Big Mocker as well. Maybe this is the the era (laughs) with the Top Loader (laughs) album. Maybe it's the era of the Mocker Pot as well. Um, yeah, is that is that right? I did wonder that about is there is there a coffee component to this really, or did they just want some funny sounding words for there? Well, again, it probably came at the time where the high street coffee shop started proliferating yeah, around the turn of the millennium. So, big marker, Onka's big marker, and big capital sort of combine around this song of dancing in the moonlight. You're right, it's part of the coffee boom. I do want to talk about some of the food that kind of. Where, how food plays a role, the particular food that played a role in the sort of 
mimicking of New Labour, because I think we're going to talk a lot about the relationship between the politics of the Jamie Oliver sort of early wave we will, uh, as well. We, we will talk about Top Load a little bit more. The best thing about, the, the, the most cursed thing about the album is that it comes with very extensive sleeve notes. And what clearly happened was this CD was like an hour away from release. And they were like, fuck, we don't have any sleep. <laughs> and and they, they asked Jamie, like, can you say something about every one of these songs? And instead of oh, editing right. him, instead of editing him and writing it down, they just transcribed it. Like, <laughs> so, yes. so Top Loader, Dancing in the Moonlight is um, definitely one of the coolest, most talented young bands to come out in 2000s. We put this track on The Naked Chef and absolutely loved it. A really good, feel good summertime tune. It annoyed me for ages that I knew the song and had no idea who the band were. And then the biggest frustration was walking into their rehearsal at Sony and still not realising that they were responsible for such a choice tune. Great album, nice haircut, great voice. <laughs> and this like conti- so this continues like on and on. So like Jamiroquai um, is described as genius band. He's the Don. Fat Boy Slim, Norm Cook, King of Reinvention. <laughs> it always surprised me that such a nice bloke can such can write such brilliant in-your-face tunes. Praise you, great videos. <laughs> so yeah. I'm of the opinion that this is actually Jamie's choices of songs. This mm-hmm. isn't a big corporate. Let's try and do an overlap between a flailing music industry and a big New Labour era star. Mm. Um, because I listened to his Desert Island Discs and there's a lot of overlap with that. So There She Goes by The Lars appears on both. Mm. There's a song by Ian Brown that he throws in on Desert Island Discs and uh, there's Stone Roses track and also... There's Radiohead as well. Radiohead. High, high and is, Dry. Yeah. yeah he's, he describes High and Dry as like a really upbeat sort of like <laughs> sort of happy song. That was miserable. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, the, the, the Desert Island Discs one, it, it, it sort of shows off Jamie Oliver at the height of his like mm-hmm. newfound fame. He he, it's a Christmas era episode, so he says, "I love me Christmas." Uh, he <laughs> makes sweeping statements like, "All the fruits rubbish at the moment." He uses the <laughs> word "bird." Uh, hooter for nose he describes uh, his mentor whose name is Gennaro as mushroom boy (laughs) Uh, (laughs) don't know what that means and he says in 2001 that he will definitely get a Michelin star Mm. and over the next three years he will open a little pub in Essex and Cambridge and I could do wonders in a year now Jonathan as an expert on the food industry did Oliver ever get his Michelin star he didn't. He didn't come close. He he opened fifteen, and then he um opened Jamie's Italian, and uh, just expanded it everywhere. I th- I was talking to Sharanya, who's my co-editor, recently, and it turns out there's a Jamie's Italian in Delhi. Um, wow. I saw and, one and at Malaga Airport yeah. a couple of weeks Someone, ago. Someone's got to bring the best of Italian food to the subcontinent. It's, it's actually <laughs> it's Jamie Oliver. It's a huge missed opportunity because it is just it is just the same Jamie's Italian menu. There's no like mashup. Yeah, but like the fact that he didn't get a Michelin star was—I I kind of feel like a little bit sorry for him because he was beefed a lot with when he started becoming big. And like this is like a guy who was like a sous chef at the River Cafe. He didn't at the beginning have like—he um, wasn't like camera ready. If you watch like old episodes of The Naked mm. Chef, he's obviously got charisma, but he's not yet confident. And like, there's actually a weird kind of 
thing that happens with his producer is that the producer is prompting him all the time and they keep the producer's prompts in, which really doesn't happen Highly much unusual. anymore. Yeah, it's very, it's discombobulating to watch. Um, but he's like a very raw talent. He was never like, he never claimed to be the best chef. He wasn't actually gunning for three Michelin stars. But then you had like his like co- contemporaries who were like so, like Gordon Ramsay and Marco Pierre White and Bourdain, like just saying like very like unflattering things about him. So like mm. Bourdain once said that he would go back in a time machine and bully him. Um, <laughs> and Marco Pierre White called him a um, a fat chef with a drum kit. Um, I also feel at the time there was a lot of parodying of uh, Jamie Oliver as essentially a not posh young man, maybe mm. with a speech impediment, um, is, mm. is, is the implication. There was a lot of like bullying down and I feel that the BBC played up to it. With as you, as you mentioned the producer role, there's a, an obvious like class tension between the very middle class patrician BBC mm. producer and a young working class lad like enjoying himself in the kitchen in front of the camera. Yeah, yeah. She, she's old. She's sort of possibly. Mm. It sounds like old enough to be his mum almost, and there's a certain yeah maternalistic and maybe that's as well. reflective of that kind of classlessness around new labor mm. and culture i feel um uh, i i was rereading something that i wrote about the 90s on a book called the classless society but the 90s were seemingly like an era where class no longer mattered and i think it was something that the blair government of 97 pushed and Oliver was the sort of perfect cultural mm. kind of ally to that classlessness or push for classlessness. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of feel that, like, why is this, like, such a interesting object? I think you've got the, like, very explicit link between, like, Jamie Oliver, like, the chef, and Jamie Oliver, the musician or the person who likes music. But I think, like, both of them, both, like, his musical taste and also the way he cooked were, like, very much, like, a part or like an unwitting part of like the new labor cultural project mm-hmm. certainly like from like 2001 onwards yeah as you said like he didn't get a michelin star but like that wasn't like the point of jamie oliver like the point of jamie oliver was he rose because he had a real talent for like communicating and for kind of getting men particularly and, and the naked chef like is very much like uh, show marketed to men mm. to to get men to cook and like busy was saying like i think it was like 97 when yeah. women overtook men in like the um in the workforce and this show was very much about men like one it's easy to cook two it's okay to cook mm. um and you can th- say bosh a lot exactly it sort of it restores your masculinity exactly doing it. and three that is like it's, it might even be cool to cook i i think like that's that show like naked chef obviously there were like other things going on in the culinary world at the time like there's like a great vanity fair edition from like 97 which was like just it was actually just before blair was elected but it's kind of this update of on the 30 years earlier like the very famous time article which Mm. coined swinging london and if you look at like the two things side by side like obviously london was this cultural capital because of its music, its fashion, mm. its film, its theatre. But, like, the one thing which is in Cool Britannia article and not in Swinging London is food. And, like, mm. f- this was, like, the emergence of food as being, like, a cultural force, like, on the level with, like, music and and film. And, and 
I think Jamie Oliver was like the person for that. That he was like the figurehead mm. of that. Um, like that food could actually be cool. Right, and it's it's a critical part of New Labour's sort of emphasis on cultural capital as a way of um, as, as something that Britain can do well as it moves ever further into a post-industrial society. Mm. You know, following on from those eighteen years of Conservative government in which so much deindustrialization happened, and you know the mines were closed and stuff. Part of the New Labour vision was that culture can sort of bring us, you know, soft power and indeed, you know, boost our GDP around the world. And you'd had, you'd had in the mid nineties, this notion that comedy was the new rock and roll with, um, you know, everyone's friend David Baddiel uh, and random lefty Rob Newman, who I don't know what he's doing now, but um, but yeah, they they can't have been going. He on does for some very time. intelligent programs for Radio Four on science. Does he? Yes, he does. Very very intelligent. I'm Not particularly funny, but very intelligent. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, they they played you know Wembley Arena and were, you know there was a sort of comedy as the new rock and roll thing. I think that's interesting only in so far that you know food then had that moment subsequently, uh, thanks to to Jamie Oliver, thanks to I suppose Nigella as well at the same around the same time. And I think to bring those two points together, that sort of backdrop, the crisis of masculinity plus. I suppose, the end of grand ideologies meant that the cultural ally of New Labour's third wayism was very much a kind of seeking gratification. There's no addressing a class, it's mm. addressing the individual. There's no trying to enact systemic change, it's seeking simple pleasures. Mm -hmm. And the idea of a celebrity an aspirational celebrity chef was the kind of perfect figure for that mm. and actually Blair very early on invited Jamie Oliver to number 10 to cook for him you know it amidst all of those like drinks parts of Noel Gallagher Zoe Ball and John Thor or whatever he would have these big like moments where him and a classless figure mm. appeared in front of the cameras Jamie Oliver Kevin Keegan Noel Gallagher such an interesting trio <laughs> but yeah that that was it i think 98 possibly that i'm trying to get the timeline right here naked chef was 99 99 was but the yeah. river cafe thing so, was 97 the year that uh the new labor government got elected mm. and i think at the turn of the millennium there was uh, over a thousand press officers in Whitehall. New Labour very clearly preferred to address the public through media rather than address, I suppose, their financial backers in the trade union movement or their party mm. members, mm. which was still, mm. I think, at the time in uh, their hundreds of thousands. Which is, yeah, you know, and that allies, you know, there's this idea about a critique of the way that Tony Blair governed with the kitchen cabinet, which of sort of un, unelected significant figures, including people like Jamie Oliver, who would sit around in the kitchen advising, you know, possibly being listened to. Who, who can say really? I mean, like, yeah, yeah. I think like it's it's significant that like Jamie Oliver started. At, well, he didn't start at River Cafe, but like, he was discovered at River mm. Cafe. I think he was in the background of I think Ruth Rogers and Rose Gray's program. He was like there and like a producer spotted him and thought mm. that guy looks good mm. or he sounds good river cafe like at the time was was kind of like the canteen for new labor right like, it's, it's like where <laughs> everyone from new labor would like hang out and like, yeah. like mandelson and, and like, blair and like oh you've got the granita thing as well but th this kind of um italian food and like italian very simple italian food mm. being like the cool thing to have like there's an association of like Blair in Tuscany as a as a sort of like 
you know, that's new labour at play almost. And that that's presumably, that's connected in the mind's eye, I suppose. Like, that's where that's where new labour went on holiday. Yeah. And, like, and pro, how they ate. <laughs> yeah, like, definitely pro-European. And yeah. then obviously, like, Lord Rogers was, like, one of new labour's, like, unelected mm. officials. Like, I think they made him, like, a kind of, not minister, but, like, guy in charge of urbanism. And, right. like, his job was to, like, improve... Like London, basically. Yeah, yeah. Good pals with Alan Rusbridger at the Guardian. They, you know, had holiday homes next to each other, (laughs) and very much the Guardian took the early New Labour as their kind of political project for the Mm. first time, probably since well, first time for decades, I would say. Yeah, you can like make the link between like the like like the sort of rise of SARS in like (laughs) New Labour and like Jamie. I don't know if you could say Jamie Oliver was a SAR, but like Jamie Oliver. At the time of 15 and then school dinners, like becoming like a huge, different say political force, because he was kind mm. of apolitical in a way, mm. or trying to be apolitical, but like someone who could affect policy. And mm. um, he is still doing that same job today. Yeah, yeah. But you can like make a link between like Jamie Oliver being kind of a de facto government czar yeah. to like... Dimbleby, like Henry Dimbleby, being like the co-founder of Leon, mm. being made, put in charge of like the national food strategy mm. for um, mm. for the whole of the country. You couldn't, you can't imagine that before Jamie Oliver. Like you can't imagine yeah. like Keith Floyd being <laughs> yeah. like on the panel for like anything. I'm fascinated uh, by this. I'm fascinated by, by this. Like I don't know, like celebrity figure, celebrity chef. Uh, becoming kind of entwined with big P politics, right? Because obviously all the stuff they do is small P politics in a way and then really getting involved in policy. I just, I, I find that kind of trajectory fascinating, especially with Jamie Oliver. And I think uh, we both read that um, that book on sugar by Karen Throsby, I think it is. And there was a bit on it with about Jamie Oliver and how Jamie Oliver's attack on sugar became quite a, a kind of a individualised, personalised attack so he was like, one man's fight against sugar. Um, and, you know, it's hiding. It's hiding in your food. We have to get it out. But actually, the way that often those conversations were framed about nutrition, about mm. food, were, like, highly neoliberal in their nature. Like, they were exactly that kind of, like, you're not you're not looking for this evil sugar that's in your food, and that's a you problem. So we're going to try and fix it. We're going to put it on your shoulders to try and fix it. But we've got to do it together, but you've got to do it, really. Like, it's like, you know, this kind of... Yeah, really, really given- fascinating. Given how, you know, I think a lot of the his political interventions will end up talking about are very, very nanny state kind of, you know. Well, I mean, New Labour very much abandoned the class struggle with Clause 4 in the mid-90s, removing Clause 4. And I feel that the celebrity campaign was perfect for Blair. <laughs> so you would see footage of uh, Jamie Oliver going to the House of Parliament, meeting Tony Blair, and Tony Blair going... Yeah, we can give you another 240 million for your school dinners campaign. I've always thought that that Oliver is a is a Labour man. He's never, uh, fr- from what I can tell, backed the Tories. He's done. He he's gone on record saying that he hated Theresa May. He did an Eton mess stunt at number ten. Yeah, last that, was so, year. that was so lame, though, wasn't I, it? Like... I don't know about this. <laughs> did he make an Eton mess? He made an Eton mess outside number ten at yeah. the end of last year. But it was so. It was really. I thought it was quite tasteless, given like the cost of food and like the food crisis. Do you know what I mean? Being like, 
I'm out here with an Eaton mask because you guys, it was just a bit oh, on the from nose. Eaton and our, I mean, it's really, in terms of like sophistication of satire, it's like Brant, the physical comedian from the day to day, who's like <laughs> wobbling on a like, you know, on a, on a yeah. But it's Blair, like a Matt comic. Blair yeah, was, yeah, exactly. was very literally. good at that. Um, I, I remember Stonewall briefed uh, Sir Ian McKellen on their push for uh, gay rights uh, legislation in the run-up to 97. Mm. And uh, allegedly, Ian McKellen went in and named all of the things that Stonewall wanted, and he just agreed. And then gay rights legislation was passed because wow. Ian McKellen had a chat with him. A similar thing with Jamie Oliver and the £240 million for school dinners. Blair responded to individuals because he wanted to bathe in their like star quality mm. whereas the even though the trade unions would give new labor three quarters of their money for the 13 years that they were in power he would seek to distance themselves and not listen mm. to like democratic union structures Collect, mm. yeah from a collective of people who would be naturally inclined and indeed wedded to the labor party what an interesting contrast i just <laughs> yeah fascinating i just think you know in all of this conversation about the relationship i mean there's a few things i've been thinking here the first one is that um, despite what Jamie says about one of the artists on there, about them being the master of reinvention, like... It was he, Norm Cook. Right. That was him. <laughs> I feel like he really is this kind of master of reinvention, right? And we can kind of think of him as existing with like, I don't know, like not just like one Jamie Oliver trajectory, like as in like a kind of series of years, right? Those kind of early years, those kind of like Downing Street years, <laughs> then the kind of like, I don't know what's kind of happened. The Jerk after. Rice years. Yeah, the Jerk um, Rice years. <laughs> There's just so many moments like, that you can kind of pin think, on I, And now like elder statesmen like being wheeled out for the coronation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, That's what I just found so, so bizarre recently, just seeing him kind of like there like in a in a suit looking kind of slightly I don't know like not that overjoyed kind of forlorn mm. kind of like but yeah like you said almost being like wheeled out like what's Jamie Oliver doing there he's it's only just... 47 I so I mean, just, just to emphasize for anyone listening he's not dying what what is interesting is uh, my, the research that I did in the run-up to this podcast is I spoke to three young people okay. and they all really like him mm, um one said he's very good on veganism and vegetarianism he's on balance done more good than harm. Another dropped me a very long email that basically <laughs> summed up like, he's a man of the people with a knack for adding a delightful twist to weeknight classics. Uh, he makes food for people who don't really care that much about food. The silent majority who aren't inter interested mm -hmm. in pomegranate molasses. I could go on. Wow. Really interesting. Yeah. That, I mean, that every man persona, that is a through line that goes from the very beginning when he's like, you know, I grew up in a pub. Um, mm. I love to be around people. You can sort of sense that sort of energy and garrulousness uh, at the very beginning, I think. He was also he was also ultimately, I think, that early phase, he was basically just like a bit of a sex object. I mean, that's why he was, you know, all the housewife's mm. favourite favorite mm. kind of nudge, nudge, wink, wink with his sort of big mop of hair. But very quickly, and he was he was literally only about twenty, I think, when he was in that river cafe. Yeah, he was, he was really a, young. He was a child. And, yeah, yeah, and and so sort of did a lot of his growing up in public. I think you mm. could say as well. It was very quickly in that Downing Street phase when he was still mm. barely in his mid to late twenties. It is he? interesting, though, in relation to those New Labour era cultural figures. 
you could be successful in your 20s, in the 90s. People in think tanks, people in <laughs> yeah. media, people on television are still with us. We're still reading like bloody Polly Toynbee, you know, uh, articles like decades <laughs> after she started as a young person there. You know, the same figures from this kind of mm. new Labour era. But after the crash, they pulled up the ladder and then they burnt it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you don't, you don't see people in their 20s in think tanks leading like policy re- renewal. You see people like Peter Mandelson from the mm. 90s advising New Labour, um, mm. New New Labour under Keir Starmer on policy. You s- see the same figures in The Observer. I open The Observer, same columnists <laughs> yeah. that I was reading like 20 years ago. Mm. So what is that about sort of a fetishization of youth mm. at that time? Do we still have that? Or is yeah, or is it just that the material conditions have changed and people are too busy, you know, trying to pay their massively outsized rent? It does feel <laughs> like that, though, doesn't it? Like I was thinking about how in the early two thousands there was this sounds like a very super like provincial concern concern now, but it was like how do we get more young people to vote? <laughs> no one seems to care about that now. No one just seems to up. care. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> who cares? It's literally like at that point, it's bizarre. The deep irony in America and Britain, where which were two countries which saw a sort of flailing of youth vote, is that the two campaigns in recent years that actually re-energise young people were the campaigns of the far left candidate. Bernieism mm. yeah. got Biden over the line in 2022 midterms. Corbynism sort of re- regenerated a, a, a sort of 20-something active political subject mm. in a way that we haven't seen in our lifetimes. Yeah. I think, like, the, the point about, like, the younger people liking him, I think it's a little bit like uh, the trajectory of, like, The Simpsons in that it's been around for so long that you have, like, the people who were there, like, when it was in its heyday <laughs> and then, like, the people and who remember when it went bad. And then you've got, like, a whole new generation of people who, like, don't remember that and mm. have been growing up with, like, season 30 Simpsons as, like, being <laughs> their programme. Mm. And I think... I do think there's a difference between anyone who was at school in 2005 for yeah. Jamie's school dinners and people who weren't there and, like, came after it. Because mm. the school dinner thing... I mean, the school dinner thing and 15... What is what makes him interesting, I think. Like, he, he could have just become mm. another TV chef and he yeah. could have just done The Naked Chef mm. until it kind of didn't work anymore. But that that was, like, that was, like, a huge risk. I think, like, he, like, like mortgaged his house against mm-hmm. 15. 15, for, like, people who don't remember, was his restaurant, which it was, it was made up of 15 um, apprentices who, who didn't have jobs. He was giving them a job. And had maybe been like in trouble with. And it had the been law tra- some whatever, of them had yeah. been in trouble. And so social enterprise before everything in Britain was became a social enterprise as it is now. You know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the school dinners as well was like it was a it was a big risk in terms of it, it was like a lot of hard work, like and, it, and it, yeah. for for like not much there wasn't that much of a kind of a prize at the end of it, apart from improving school dinners. Can we recap how that worked for our younger listeners? Like, so what, so for people who haven't seen Jamie's school dinners, what well, could you sort of summarize the controversy and the mission? Because it was a mission essentially. Well, well I think it? the first thing about school dinners is: does anyone remember what the theme tune was? <laughs> <laughs> is it on the CD? Are you no, no, sing it no it's not. It, t- it took me. A, it took me a while to actually. F- track down 
I had to go for um, educational um, kind of player to actually find the old episodes of School Dinners because they're all taken down. You can't actually watch it anymore unless you're like part of an institution. Wow. But the, um, the, the theme song was Mr. Brightside by The Killers. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that really dates it to 2005, doesn't yes, it? <laughs> yeah. And um, the, the premise was that Jamie Oliver goes to uh, an inner city school, in this case it's Kidbrook School in Greenwich, and he sees, like, what they're serving um, at school dinners. And it's basically, like, there's no vegetables, it's chips, like, smiley faces, turkey dinosaurs, turkey twizzlers, burgers. And, like, obviously, like, I like all those things, but, like, yes, like, he has a point. Like, it's, mm. it's the same food, like, over and over again. Very beige. There's no, yeah. there's no balance in the food and, and so on. And he basically embeds himself at the school. And he teaches the dinner ladies who, like, in this narrative, are, like, people who kind of used to care, but now they've been, like, mm. jaded mm. by the, the stuff that they're serving kids and they don't know how to do anything else. So it's, like, kind of Jamie coming in, like, teaching them how to cook, teaching them how to care again, teaching the kids, like, what asparagus is. Um, and it's four episodes and... Like, it's, it's great TV in the sense that, that there is, like, an arc. Yeah. There's trials to overcome. There's, like, gotcha moments where, like, the kids can't, like, name a vegetable. And mm. you've the very famous one was, like, the mums passing snack food through the school gates mm. because children were complaining. Or um, the one where, um, where he shows the kids, is this on school dinners, where he shows the kids what chicken nuggets are made out of? So and I, then he's like, who will eat this still? And all the kids put up their hands. I have a feeling, I have a feeling that is actually a later show that he did in America, uh. which was, and then there was a big difference between like the reaction in the UK and the reaction mm. in America. Like the American one, like kind of tanked. In, in terms of like Americans don't want someone coming over and telling them like how to eat. Mm. Whereas the the British one, like, it got a huge, huge traction in the media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was Ruth Kelly at the time um, was in charge of education. And sort of he got, like, a promise from her on, like, things will change. And to the best of my knowledge, like, I think school dinners in the UK are now better, like, overall than they were in 2005. But then the programme itself, and, like, this was true at the time and it's... I was commented on at the time and like with hindsight like it's even more like noticeable you've still got this like weird kind of thing Owen Hadley called it like a neo-Victorian paternalism of like this guy who is like a wealthy at this point a multi-millionaire mm. coming in and telling like the working class how to eat and this is like another reason why I think Jamie Oliver is like very much like a sort of distillation of like new labour mm. in that like it was always like an individual mm. solution to what was mm. a structural and collective problem exactly mm. in an age of abundance this is before the crash mm. there was this kind of patrician moralism from middle classes you would have the finger wagging um you know traits that were associated with um the end of new labor and part of the reason why they probably haven't been re-elected is the association that there are these like neo-victorian era uh, paternalists who tell you how best mm. to live and there's a sort of 
a populist reaction mm. against that. Yeah. You would have uh, sneering satirists in like Private Eye or like Harry Enfield who were like demonising the poor for their eating habits in their like cartoons and sketches. It was always like fat kids eating burgers, mm. their parents smoking. Mm. And there is something kind of the television executive wanting you know, the masses of Britain to be better, mm. that kind of, like, stuck in the crawl of the British public. And I think we're still experiencing the reaction to that. Mm. Do you think it's interesting, though, that, they're, like, as far as I was, I'm aware, there wasn't some... There wasn't, like, a substantial reaction to those extremely... And there were just so many, like, successive, very classist, very su- successful sitcoms or, or sketch shows, usually, right? Like, uh, you know, Little Britain, of course, then did the same, and... Did the same, thank you. Yeah, and th- I don't feel like there was as much of a backlash to that as there was to Jamie, sort of saying like, you know, I want to, and he, you know, he did it in a very haphazard way a lot of the time. Don't get me wrong, like, and in fact, as late as was it twenty thirteen, I think an article one of one of you sent around before uh, he was chastising poorer British people for quote eating chips and cheese out of styrofoam co- containers while they have quote a massive fucking TV. Add, always adding, with the TV, man. I know, right? It's I mean, always with the fucking it's, it, TV. It's, it's right. It's a trope right out of like the right wing press, obviously. Yeah. Like, it's um, and he then he then gives the example of like spaghetti alla cotze, like um, that an Italian nonna might make with with mussels and with uh, all the other ingredients. You know, maybe some garlic, olive oil, tomatoes, and spaghetti for sixty p, which is just that's completely detached from reality, including like. Italian reality, I would say, yeah. probably. I think like the, the exact quote is, I meet people who say you don't understand what it's like. I just want to hug them and teleport them to the Sicilian street cleaner who has 25 mussels, 10 cherry tomatoes and a packet of spaghetti for 60 pence and knocks out the most amazing pasta. You go to Italy or Spain and they eat well or not much money. We missed out on that in Britain somehow. And it's like, yeah, and this is like a continuation of like this very romantic view of European and particularly Mediterranean life mm. that like, the British have had since like Elizabeth David that like living in poverty in the Mediterranean is like a noble thing mm-hmm. and actually something mm. to be kind of yeah kind of copied in a way but yeah the fact that there isn't a British sort of peasant casino povera is interesting and is you know worth exploring and has been explored and but yeah it's Jamie's relationship with scolding <laughs> people for yeah. like he's got he's got a lot of yeah. pushback for that and arguably correctly yeah um but i think it just makes when he is lame all the more lame do you know what i mean because he is he is like we haven't really touched on the joy that is watching the car crash that is jamie oliver well, <laughs> like, I, I think like <laughs> like he's so cringe like i think there's an article i can't remember when it came out i think he like, he voluntarily offered up the information that he was once cooking for Jules on Valentine's Day and he, quote, unquote, burnt his todger. Oh, my God. <laughs> and I'm just like, do you know what I mean? He's so... He's Why have you so volunteered this information? With his, he's so willing to be so cringe. Like, I don't know. And I think he knows All of this now. stuff, to, like, yeah, exactly. I, 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 listened to, I listened to him on Off Menu this morning because um, I hadn't listened to that particular episode. I thought, I'll see what his affect is like at this point in mm. his life when he's been a public figure for you know longer 
longer than he wasn't a public figure as a child. Mm. You know, he's been he's basically been famous for 27 of his 47 years. And he did, I think there was a little gag from James A. Castro at one point about Top Loader, which he did not respond to. Which <laughs> 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 is quite funny in, in itself. Um, and, then, and then at another point, I think he's he's reminiscing about something. He said, yeah, but, you know, I used to say everything was pucker all the time back then, but I was 23, I was an idiot. And so I think he's, he's you know, he's mm. smart enough to know that he is a, a slightly a figure of fun. I mean, if you filmed me uh, in my early 20s, I would have come across a complete moron. Basically, if you film me now, I'll come across a bit, a bit of a moron. So, <laughs> don't say like, pucker. I, do, well, I don't, but I, no, I'd say things about the uh, cultural, American cultural hegemony. <laughs> like but um, so I do feel a bit sorry for him in terms of growing up in front of a camera. And I think in comparison to a lot of people who've been felled either by like personal vice or kind of general malfeasance. He's <laughs> kind of done all right. He's still with the missus. He's still got kids. He's still doing, like, campaigns. Yes, he earns a lot of money yeah. at a time of, like, you know, financial worry for most of the nation. But I think as public aspirational figures go, there are many worse. Should we go back to the, like, one of the songs on yeah. Cooking yeah. with Jamie yeah. Oliver? Yeah. Jonathan, I think it's probably... You, you pick one. Pick one. Yeah. <laughs> While Jonathan's choosing, mm. I'm just going to tell you that something I listened to his Desert Island discs as well, because, and um, yeah, I was one thing I was immediately struck by, which I think you alluded to earlier, was that he was given the Christmas Desert Island discs in 2001. That is an extremely speedy rise to like be given that prime sort of slot in, in uh, radio real estate, essentially. Um, and the his possibly first or second choice, but definitely the standout one at the end of Desert Island Disc, you're asked to choose, you know, your the, best, the, the biggest yeah. song, right? And it wasn't Top Loader. It was it was Roachford, which I find very funny because that is the that is it may even be the same song that's used in the Alan Partridge movie to signify how lame Alan Partridge is. <laughs> I don't because he's know. like he's, he's actually he's, I think it's actually it's Cuddly Toy I think that is uh, that he goes nuts to in the Alan Partridge film. Um, he's just sort of singing along as he drives along. It's just so it's very corny. 90s R&B, basically. That Desert Island disc caused a bit of a storm because Jamie uh, didn't choose a book oh, yeah, when yeah. asked to choose a yeah. book because uh, he admitted, uh, according to an article in the Daily Express at the time, that he was pig ignorant after refusing to choose his favourite book on Desert Island Discs. And a spokesman for Desert Island Discs said he was one of the few people who had not chosen a book. But then he is dyslexic. He's, He's dyslexic. talked very yeah. openly about being dyslexic. When he wrote his first book, he said he recorded it on an old dictaphone, like a tape recorder. Mm. And that book sold a million copies for like mm. Penguin Random House or uh, whoever. So like there is a sort of triumph over adversity and mm. a bit of a snobbishness against like Jamie not picking a book. Mm. Mm. He explains very, it's quite touching actually, he explains how he just didn't get on at school until, ex or except when he was allowed to sort of work with his hands and that could apply to art and it, but it also eventually applied to cooking, which is, you know, that is a, le that is a, a learning style, is like kinetic learning, you know, for people who don't respond to like blackboard learning in the same way. Um, and the sort of, you know, the, the kids kids with dyslexia generally were still being marginalised at that point and, like, suffering as a result, you know. Mm. Um, and going back to that point that I think that the Cooking with Jamie Oliver songs were chosen by Jamie Oliver is the fact that he picks There She Goes by the Lars in both 
Jonathan, have you got uh, what he says about There She Goes? Uh, yeah, he says, what a fantastic first release. They had the potential to be the next Beatles. Where the <laughs> hell did they go? For their sins, we were blessed with cast. Also fantastic. The dog's bollocks. <laughs> now, obviously, There She Goes is a song famously about heroin. <laughs> and the, you it's know, another lovely, uplifting... <laughs> the kind of heroin chic thing. The lyrics are pulsing through my veins and I just can't contain this feeling that remains. Mm. He could be talking about coriander or whatever. Yeah. Instead, mm. Really know. good on it. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I think you're right. Like, I think... I actually have like a lot of fondness for like the two thousand sort of like ninety nine to two thousand and five era Jamie Oliver. And I think even like even the school dinners, there's like a kind of admirable willingness to show like Jamie getting it wrong all the time. Mm-hmm. And actually if you if you watch it again, like Jamie doesn't really come across as like the hero of this show. Like he he's put upon and like he realizes that like he's he keeps fucking up. He's tried to come in just change everything straight away. It hasn't worked. Mm. The dinner ladies are telling him, look, you can't, you actually like can't do this. You need to order this in advance. You need to actually write down these recipes or how are we going to cook them? <laughs> um, and there's like a great repartee between her, him and um, the, the head dinner lady, I think Nora. I think it's like the stuff afterwards where he could have said like, look, I messed up here. Like I, I could do more in like learning how this works, like get people already doing this work, like more involved. But he just like kind of doubled down on the like, mm. yeah, this is like the fault of people on benefits with TVs. Yeah, real shame. That kind of um, cringiness which he has, which I think it, it was always there, that like very much comes out in like his relationship to music. She's like, this CD, I don't know if we're, like, allowed to play it. There are, like, other instances of Jamie Oliver using music because he was in Scarlet Division. Um, and and the, the, big, the big villain in this story is Lee Haggerwood, who's his friend, who is the lead impresario. Like, who, like who's the guy behind Boney M.? Like that kind of right, like, right. Yeah. He, he's, Readers, he is actually uh, listeners, right in, please. Yeah. <laughs> the guy behind Boney M. I, I, I actually have like, I actually have like three long reads in me. <laughs> one is the long read that I'm writing right now. The second one is about Max Martin, and the third one is the guy behind Boney M. <laughs> <laughs> Could only work out what his name is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing that links the three is that they are like. The people behind the other thing, right? Um, yeah, Jamie Oliver have someone behind him. So yeah, yeah. Lee, Lee Hagwood is, right. is like the, the guy who's like doing the songs, and the last track on here, Scarlet Division, Sundial, Sundial, drives fantastic drummer who's also an excellent cook. A great <laughs> tune that went down a treat on the gig circuit. Keep your eyes and ears peeled for more releases from this lot. Um, <laughs> Lee wrote him a song to like play on his live cooking tour. Right. Um, and it's a song about making what I actually think is like a Thai red curry. But for for some for some reason he decides to sing the song like in Jamaican like in Jamaican patois. But I'm like play, I can't actually describe it, but I'm gonna like play a snippet. Oh wait, hold on. This is not it. That is actually the theme tune to his second lesser known show. 
Oliver's Twist. <laughs> which, Deep cuts, man. Which was filmed after Naked Chef, but like it wasn't for the BBC, it was for the Food Network, which is why it's not oh. been shown. It's not canon. Yeah, but ah. it's, it's a Scarlet Division song was the theme song for it. I feel like I feel um, like the Food Network is a little bit more like out there in terms of the weird stuff that it produces. Like it produces more like twisted, strange content. That show was like so weird. It, like some of the episodes are like fever dreams. Like, <laughs> <laughs> the, the premise of every show is that like Jamie Oliver bumps into someone on the street and he's like, what? yeah, come round, come round to my house, I'll cook for you. And so like wow. the what one of them is he bumps into like an ABBA tribute band. And, they, <laughs> and he's like, come round to my flat later. I hope he's like, dressed as Oliver Twist in Dickensian <laughs> garb as well. That's so strange. Oh my god, that's amazing. And there's another one where he um the premise of the show is that He's got three birds who don't have boyfriends. And he's like... (laughs) (laughs) He's like, you need to come round to mine because I'll show you how to cook and then you can get a boyfriend. Wow. Um, But this is like... This is on the Swiss. But um, (laughs) the curry song. Again, like, this is like... If I was trying to show, like, someone what living in the UK was like in the Mm. year 2000, I I would also just play them the video of this song. Um, (laughs) But while this, so like while this is going on, like Jamie is actually doing all the things, and it's kind of like he's trying to keep up with his own lyrics. Like, and the the idea is like you can make this curry in like the, the time, length it, of the, song, the yeah. length of the song. So the, the chorus goes, "Lamb curry, give it to me hot. Ain't no worries when you're cooking from the heart." And then when when it's cooking, he then runs over to a drum kit and like does a drum solo Ooh. and like finishes. Perfect. I, it's to be honest, like the the song slaps, <laughs> and it, it's, it's something you don't want to admit. <laughs> Too late, Jonathan. I, I think, We're not cutting it. Yeah. <laughs> There's this song, which is like very like emblematic of kind of like new labor like multiculturalism and mm. like we're, we're going to make a Thai red curry and sing mm-hmm. in the Jamaican accent <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then like there's a line to that and like Mike Reed doing the UKIP Calypso and um, I remember like Mike Reed was asked like why are you doing this in Jamaican patois <laughs> And he said, well, you can't sing Calypso in a Surrey accent, which I actually think is like (laughs) fairly airtight logic. (laughs) Because it's a Calypso song, obviously. So so it's it's from Robin Cook's Chicken Tikka Masala speech Mm. to Suella Braverman's Stop the Boats. Mm. Wow. All in the space of 20 years. Um, It wasn't Jamie's only foray into writing his own music. Jonathan, you found... We've got two more. Yeah. (laughs) So the first one is Jamie Oliver and the Food Tube Choir. And you kind of need to play the chorus for this because this is kind of a darkness, don't let the bells end kind of (laughs) song. Like the song is about fish stew. 
Okay. No. And this one. it's called the fish stew wrap. <laughs> Fishy. Oh, wow. Get your pan on, get the oil hot. Get the muscles and clams, lay your fish on top. Just a glass of wine, we'll do just fine. I like it, it's like acid jazz. Give it a shape for a reason. Fish stew. Yes, you heard that right. Fish stew. Now. Now, <laughs> I was ready to give it the benefit of the doubt that you didn't know what fish stew sounded like. I mean, that kind of like wink to the camera that, yeah, you heard that right, fish stew. I, I don't think I could give him the benefit. Flakes of fish, tomatoes, I love a fish stew. We have prawns, mussels, we got some clams, red mullet, Tony here. I pinch it and I'm just going to score it. Oh, the wrap. Good mother-in-law joke there. Go in. <laughs> Chili and garlic. I've got some fennel tops here. We're going to rip this up and get that in. Fennel is like aniseed. It's delicious. You could use parsley or basil instead. Some mussels. That's why I wrote this song. Fish on top of the mussels. Clams. Prawns. I want a fish <laughs> Sweet as he a wants beer, to fist you too. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just so juvenile, but like it is. I mean, it also does slap. Like it is quite funny. <laughs> I think I think the final one uh, song that his last public foray into song making <laughs> was for something called Food Revolution Day wow. in 2015. Now I don't know about you guys, but in May, do we all like celebrate Food Revolution Day? I I don't. But it became like a big kind of corporate tie-in, and um, it I think it all started when he tried to move his school dinners program to the states in 2010 with jamie's food revolution the cover of the dvd is him uh, replacing mao zedong in the bathing light <laughs> revolution um uh, carrying some carrots in his hand what mao would have wanted and, and basically he got his celebrity mates together he got ed sheeran and Professor Green and Alicia Dixon and, you know, Jazzy B, the venerable Jazzy B. Wow. Um, and they wrote a song called, I think, Food Revolution Day. We might not play it, but I can read some lyrics. Mm. Uh, it's a rap, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, my name is Jamie Oliver. I'm here to say I want to talk about Food Revolution Day. Half, <laughs> half the world is starving with too little to eat and the other half die from being a beast. Now, I've checked... Uh, citation world, needed. I've checked the World Health Organization stats not actually correct. Um, and obviously, like, Professor Green and Jazzy B uh, chip in. They say, we need a revolution, not devolution, which I actually <laughs> is not New Labour policy in 97. So, you know, maybe he's moving away from that. But it's it's really, really cringe. Wow, it's like very like Robbie Williams in his like rude box era. Oh. Uh, let, let's not slag off the rude box. <laughs> <laughs> I've gone one step too far. <laughs> That is remarkable. Wow. Um, it's got Paul McCartney on the core. Oh, yeah, well. Paul McCartney doing wow. revolution, not devolution. Um, 
shall he'd turn up for anything wouldn't he yeah. <laughs> sign up like turn up for a wardrobe being open <laughs> <laughs> honestly shall we do another song from uh, cooking with Jamie Oliver I feel that we've covered yeah. like two yeah. or three so maybe there's another one Finley Quay even after all sweet tune Wicked to chill to, and a nice fat baseline. Fat is spelt P with a PH. Oh, I would hope I so. That's a, great, a banger, though. A great feel good vibe. The song always stays in my head to the point where I have to sing it out loud, and that just irritates everyone. My Jamaican accent leaves a lot to be desired, oh. to say the least. As we've heard it. So, so the Jamaican patois is actually like this is like a pattern of behaviour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, an inexplicable one, but it, definitely a pattern. In relation to the compilation, whilst Jamie has almost certainly chosen the songs, I feel that there are some naughty, disaffected employees who've shifted in. There are a lot of mentions of food. So in the in the Charlatans song, which sixth album, they're phoning it in by then. There's a line, I will feed you when you're hungry. In that Finley Quay song that Jonathan mentions, he says, these sonic fruits, these sonic fruits. Um, but then there's also like, without sounding like Frederick Jameson, very like cultural critique on modern day consumer capitalism. So in uh, Motorcycle Emptiness, what's the line before Motorcycle Emptiness? Um, under Neon Loneliness. Under Neon Loneliness. Isn't that a perfect like allegory for one of the Taste the Difference, Sainsbury's, Jamie, Chicken <laughs> Fillets, <laughs> Under Neon Loneliness. Lost in the supermarket, so yeah. Um, That's is, alienation. Uh, in Sparrow Carpets, they've got the phrase, he had it all on a plate. Uh, the Wonderstoff song, commerciality over art can't win out. So th- there is this kind of like critique of Jamie Oliver as a figure in Shed Sevens on standby the first song I ever saw live (laughs) (laughs) absolutely true there's the line can you sense a tragedy because I saw it on the BBC now is that a disaffected Mm. Jamie Oliver employee just (laughs) spooking his career I don't know it's important that we study the text this closely so I'm very glad you have this thank you (laughs) I feel like I'm really, I don't know, hearing all of this stuff about like the 90s moment, about multiculturalism. I feel like Jamie Oliver really cap- like encaptures this kind of like struggling, are they zennials, I guess, in a sense that like when he was like coming to fame fruition in the 90s, there was this sense that the things that he would he was doing, right, like cooking something from Jamaica, cooking something from Malaysia, he really felt that that was his contribution to multiculturalism. Mm. That he really felt like that was somehow like a like uh, yeah like a positive uh, signifier that he was both cosmopolitan, but that also he didn't believe in like uh, racist politics. Right, like that's how he wore his kind of mm. I don't know cosmopolitanism, multiculturalism. And I think it's really interesting seeing him really struggle actually in kind of like later life to come to terms with the fact that those practices. It's not enough, you know, that kind of like learning curve. I think you can really see it in the jerk rice fiasco. I think you can really see it in his continued use of like his Jamaican accent, his poor Jamaican accent. That like, you know, these practices, these things are like really seen now as quite 
quite embarrassing, quite lame, well, right? Well, maybe in the compiling of this album, we see that reflected as well. There are 18 tracks and one is Black Lead, which is the Finley Quay song from Maverick mm. Strike. The other 17 are white lead bands. And as myself and Dan Hancocks, who grew up in the 90s clubbing in the fridge, <laughs> dancing to UK funky, understood, is that every single young person who went clubbing in the 90s danced on a Friday or a Saturday night to black-led music. Mm. And yet the memory of the 90s is white guitar bands. Mm. It's sort of people replacing the reality and their own lived experience with the retelling mm-hmm. of a story of the 90s, which I believe was a minority interest. Mm. Yeah. And you see it reflected in the compilation. I love this. I love this object so much. And... I'm really, I'm really sad that one I don't have one. So Jonathan, at Christmas, <laughs> gonna, <laughs> I will, get me one. <laughs> I, I will be um, get. I'm gonna like be stocking up before this comes out because I know that when this comes out, yeah, yeah. this CD is gonna be unavailable everywhere. <laughs> It'll be and, harder to get than London feeds itself. If, it, if, it, nice. if it's um, if it's unavailable by the time it comes out, it will just be me buying up all the spare copies. <laughs> Biz, I feel like you need to insure your copy as well, like, just in case. It's my pension plan. I've got a signed copy of London Feeds Itself and Cooking with Jamie Oliver on CD. I'm going to sell it to one of the Vittles subscriber rich Americans wearing a Stetson smoking a cigar. And then I'm going to retire to Marbella. Okay, um, yeah, I think that's as good a place as any to wrap up. Thank you so much for joining us, Biz and Jonathan. It's been fascinating. I didn't realise that a CD could hold so much cultural weight and cursedness um, and also kind of like personal personal writing by Jamie <laughs> I know, I feel closer to Jamie now than I, know, than I yeah. was before, but he's a complex figure and I think we've we've got to some of those nuances. There are... Yeah, many phases yeah. of his career. But, but also he wants to fist you. Sorry, he wants to he wants to cook you a fist you. Is that it? Is that the joke? <laughs> and if Alistair Campbell and Rory Stewart are listening, I'm available for the rest is politics. <laughs> My cursed object. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us, guys. Thanks. Bye kids. Thank you. What a pleasure. <laughs> thanks everyone. Love you. Bye. Bye.